you think of when I say Nordic? What about Scandinavian? My guest today was born and raised in Finland before moving abroad. She's always been Finnish, as she's lived around the world. But it wasn't until she became a parent that she really reflected on her Nordic culture, what it means to her, and how she wants to embrace it in her everyday life. Even once she chose to embrace her roots, she says it's difficult to hold on to the language and the culture while living in a different country. But she's doing her best and podcasting along the way as the Nordic Mum. So let's go ahead and start the conversation with, well, I'll let her tell you. This is Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. First, I'll ask, where's the emphasis in your first name? How do I correctly, finishly pronounce your first, or your whole name? Let's go for it. Tell me how to say your whole name. Susanna Heiskanen. Okay. I actually had my husband try and teach me how to say your last name. (laughs) Did you? Oh, that's so sweet. What do people, because now you live abroad, you live in Australia. How do people say your name there? Oh, they just say Susanna or Susanna. They don't even try. Susanna, yeah. Yeah, Susanna. Or sometimes they do this Susanna with H in the end, Susanna. Nah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you get frustrated or is that you've just kind of accepted that this is what happens? Yeah, I just let it go. There's other things to get annoyed in life. So like if they can't pronounce my name, that's fine. And it's I find it funny when, when you go official settings and people are trying to pronounce your last name. I just find it funny when they're struggling and I'm just waiting there patiently to see what how they destroy it this time and I just leave it. <laughs> I'm definitely the international school teacher who goes to take attendance. And you know, I get through all of the Anglo Saxon names that my my brain automatically processes and then I get to something unfamiliar and there's that pause and I go, I know they're staring at me. I know they're <laughs> laughing on the inside. <laughs> and and I know what it feels like as well to have that kind of small alteration of your first name because Australians where you live call me Megan. Yeah. I was looking at them things, is it that Megan or Megan or Megan. Megan Megan Margle. Like, exactly. There's a famous Megan with an H now, so it makes it a little bit easier because she has the same pronunciation that I do. So yeah. <laughs> she's spreading the word for all the Megans. Oh, I already let listeners know, but maybe you can tell us again. So where are you from and where are you now? I am originally from Finland, from a small town called Kajani, which is was to north like the Lapland. I was born and bred there and stayed there until I was about 23 and now I live in Australia and I moved here about 2008 and I'm in the east coast in New South Wales in a yeah. small little town in, in the beach by the call of, name of Thirol. Our last vacation that we ever took was actually in Australia and the last place we were in was New South Wales and my children loved it. They absolutely yeah. loved it. It's a lovely place and the lifestyle is just to die for. Like, I'm so lucky to be able to live here. But like you said, you haven't always lived there. And so between the 23 years you spent at the beginning of your life in Finland and then 2008 when you moved to Australia, where, what goes in the middle? 
going back, like I was in high school, I was about 17, 18, did my high school, and then I didn't know what really do. So I took a year off and I worked in as a veterinary assistant, thinking I want to be a vet, I want to go to university to be a vet. After working that year there, I realized, okay, this is not for me, like, no, no, can't do this. <laughs> and um, I went to nursing school to become a paramedic nurse in Finland. And then this was in 1997, 98. And there was a very high unemployment rate for mm-hmm. nurses particularly. And there was no way I was going to be able to find a job after I graduated. So I applied for a job in London to become a nurse there. And I was accepted and I moved in February 1999 to London. I didn't know anybody. I was 23 and my sister had been in London two years before as a nurse as well. And and she's been working there for like a year and a half. But she was really homesick and she came back home to Finland. And yeah, I left. I didn't know anybody, but it was like an adventure. And I'm a very adventurous person anyway. You know, you say, my sister went to the same place with the same job, but she ended up homesick. Did that not scare you off? No. Do you have a very different personality? Yeah, we're very different personalities. My sister is a homebody when I'm like the, you know, the trailblazer who just go and does things that no one else does. So I was not worried about it at all. And, you know, you're young and you're fearless and you just want to try everything. (laughs) And yeah, I didn't know anybody, but I made a lot of friends. And most of my friends were actually other expatriates. So I didn't hang out a lot of with Finns. I was hanging out with Mm. other Kiwis, Aussies, South Africans, Canadians, US nurses. Yeah, everybody except Finns pretty much. Were there any Finns? There were lots of Finns. So the hospital that I went, they had a recruitment from the Scandinavian countries. So there was lots of Norwegian, Swedish and Finns. And lots of them lasted like a year and, or two. And then they returned back to Finland when the employment there was improving. And they could actually show that they'd be working overseas and they have work experience, which was kind of one of the things why lots of nurses came there. But I then met my now husband, my boyfriend at the time, and... Uh, we had to kind of make a decision after six months after we had met whether do I stay or whether I go back to Finland because I was offered a study place in Turku. So I was off- offered a place there to study further in nursing and I was like, oh, should I, should I not? And I remember we had a conversation with my boyfriend and, and he said, okay, I will leave my job and I will move to Finland to be with you and I can do bar jobs or whatever jobs and we can just, you know, we can do it. And that's when probably I finally fell in love with him because I was like, this man doesn't speak any Finnish, doesn't know anybody and he's willing to move with me to another country. And now when I remind him about this conversation, he comes on like, surely I didn't say something silly (laughs) like that. But I said, yes, you did. So I decided to stay because I came in the conclusion that I love this man and I want to spend my life with him. And I felt that the year and two that I've been in London just wasn't enough. I was like, I'm hunger for more. I want to have more of this experience of living overseas and different cultures and how it all kind of works up and how you how you live your life and and I stayed and um, I stayed nine years in London oh wow and then my company that I was working at the time so I left nursing after two three years I went to work in a corporate world and the corporate company that I was working with offered me a job in Sydney but they said before you go to Sydney you need to go to Auckland so I went to Auckland at 2007 
and then 2008 I uh, come to Sydney and I'm still on the same journey. And where does your now husband, then boyfriend, where does he come from? So he's British and he's from a place called Doncaster in the northern parts of uh, UK and they call him York, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. So he was funny when we met and he had this accent that I couldn't, I could barely understand him. And sometimes I was telling him, I, I wish you could speak Finnish because I have all the time. I don't understand what you say, but you're so cute. So I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then I remember, and we had this conversation actually yesterday because it was my birthday. And we were talking about the fact that when I was then offered a job in Australia and we had the paper, A4 white paper, there was plus and minus and a line in the middle, and we had to write pluses and minuses, Sydney versus London. Do we want to go and do we want to leave? And my husband was putting like plus better weather <laughs> and minus it rains all the time in London. And I remember putting pluses, it's like we are further away from your parents. <laughs> and uh, he, he had minuses, we are further away from my parents. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we made the decision to come. And, and he says, you know, Australia is very much like UK, but it's just a warmer weather. <laughs> and do you think it is now that you've lived there so long, similar to the UK or very different? In my opinion, it's different. I see and you know similarities between the cultures, but the people are very much more laid back. And I felt when I remember walking in a street in Sydney after we have arrived and thinking, this feels more like Finland to me than it feels England, even though people speak English, but these people are more laid back and they live their life and, and they relax and they're more into kind of slow, like let's take things slow and no worries rather than being this like bang, 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 busy, 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 what yeah. the life in UK was. That's a nice transition into what you do now, which is actually connecting your Nordic lifestyle to your life there in Australia, and you've uh, you've turned that into a public message. So before we dig into that, what countries are actually included when we talk about Nordic or Scandinavian, and maybe what's the difference between the two? Yeah, I use those very loosely. So if you are very strict and nudic countries is Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland. Mm-hmm. But then Scandinavia is everybody except Finland. So that Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, because they are part of the Scandi uh, language group. So that is Scandinavia. But in broad terms, people don't really know the difference between nudic and Scandinavia. So I kind of use them kind of mismatch all the time. Because for people, it doesn't make that much of a difference. So then what is Nordic lifestyle? I'm putting that in quotes. What is it? (laughs) So Nordic lifestyle is, to me, it's about how people from the Nordics, so those five countries, how do they live their everyday life? So it's everything from how sustainability is part of the core principles of their lives and everybody does it because it is just the way we have always lived and we want to be eco-friendly. It's about taking life slow, so living it slowly rather than being on the hurriness and trying to get things done. And it's connecting yourself to nature, so 
embracing what you have on your doorsteps, you know, connecting with nature with walks and, you know, foraging what you have in the forest or fishing from the sea or from the lakes. And it's about nudic design as well. It's about design pieces, which you might know, like Marimekko, Itala, Arabia, things that you have in your home and how, how those are part of your everyday existence and you celebrate them and you embrace them. And just being able to bring that kind of cute, cozy hygge, like the Danish would call. Yeah, it's slow, become a very famous word now. <laughs> yes, yes. The slow kind of simplified lifestyle as part of who you are. So that, was, that for me is a nudic lifestyle. And we'll talk about how you're connecting that to your life there in Australia. But I want to ask first, why did you decide to not just make this a part of your personal life and your family, but also to create the blog and the podcast and to try and promote this for others? Well, that is a question. <laughs> so <laughs> when I started my podcast, so my podcast is now 109 episodes. So if you go my very first podcast episode it was not called the Nordic mom what is called now it was my name it was Susanna Heiskanen podcast but then I realized one nobody can pronounce my <laughs> my uh what <laughs> my name and it wasn't about me it would per se it was not even though I do two interviews and I do my solo episode it wasn't about me and I First, my first seven episodes was about just me talking about parenting. And then from the seventh until the 52 episode, I was talking with other business people about how to bring up your family while you are having a side hustle and, you know, doing your life and work and business and all that. And then episode 52 comes and I changed it to be just about the Nordic lifestyle because that's what it was called. It's called the Nordic mom. So I just change it just about the nudic lifestyle, the nudic living, the simplicity, minimalism, all that. But to coming, why did I get it started? So I didn't have a website until I had done 52 episodes. And I did one episode for two years every week. But until I had 52 episodes, I didn't have a website. I didn't have even my socials. And the reason why I started was I had a product business. So I had the... Finnish baby box you might have heard about it so there's yeah. cupboard box which has a mattress underneath where the baby can sleep and have all the goodies for the mummy and the baby I studied did the Australian version of it and I just realized that the business was not fueling my creative um, needs and I mm. needed to do something else and I was going through perhaps like a mini breakdown in terms of like it was just too much like the business was hard work and we had to, to then put more money on it than what we wanted to put. And I had to make the decision whether I wanted to continue growing the business or call it quits. And I decided to call quits. So I started recording the podcast same time when I was going through this trans, transitioning process from having this business and being busy, busy, busy to starting something new. And I felt that podcast, because I love to talk, <laughs> and my <laughs> friends were laughing, well, you have you know, verbal diarrhea all the time. So this is perfect for you. So you can record yourself and people can listen to you if they want. So I started recording and I did about maybe first three episodes. And of course, listeners, please don't go and listen to my first few episodes because they're absolute crap. Started episode 53. <laughs> yeah, 52 is a good 
to start off 53. But I put my um, iPhone headset on my laptop and I just recorded it three episodes just like that. Didn't do any editing, nothing. And and I was wondering, why don't I sound as good as like some of the big names? And I forget about the whole thing. I just left it there. And when I went back to like maybe a month later, I realized people have been listening to me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is interesting. Well, I make a pledge to myself. I'm going to make one episode every week for the next 52 weeks. And that's how I get started. So what I'm hearing is actually the start of it was more about something for your mental health, for you creatively to get you moving towards whatever it was that you needed to move towards, which you didn't know at the time, but you needed motion. Yes, I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, I get that. That's one of the reasons that I started this podcast. There you go. Is I'm on extended maternity leave because we know little kids are logistical nightmares. And... Um, <laughs> And it's been difficult that I can't go back to work full time yet, but I'm also a person who needs some type of stimulation, creative process, forward motion. And I know that's not for everyone. I also fully acknowledge that being a mom is a full-time job. You don't need to start a podcast, but I needed that something as well. I, and I have to say, I remember when I was having this kind of nervous breakdown uh, maybe burnout. I would call it a burnout. It wasn't a nervous yeah. breakdown. It was more like a burnout with the business. And I remember speaking to a good friend who is a life coach, and I was explaining how I'm feeling these symptoms and how I was feeling agitated and can't sleep and I feel stressed about that. I don't know why I'm stressed about and what I'm stressed about. And then she just said, I just want you to take two weeks, just just you know record the podcast and then just lie down in a sofa and read those books that you've been talking about that you want to read and don't do anything with the business. And that was the best two weeks of my life, I have to say. I was so relaxed. But we just moved to this beautiful place where I can see the sea from the window. I haven't even been at the beach. We've been living here about, I don't know, over six months. I haven't even been at the beach because I've been so busy. So I kind of started looking at my life, you know, around me and, you know, reminding myself that how did I get to this place that I'm now and why am I here and why is what I want to do, what I want to do, where do I want to go? And I knew that the business just wasn't the answer anymore. And interestingly, even now, as a side note, people are telling me that you should have something to sell. You should have something to monetize your podcast. Mm -hmm. with. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not always about that everything. Yeah, it's not always about the money. It's not all of that you have to do profit from something because it can be a passion project. It can be a hobby. It might be an expensive one. <laughs> but <laughs> if it brings joy for you and it brings joy to your listeners and you are changing people's lives, I think that's what matters to me and that's you know something to be celebrating about. I agree. Every time I get a message from a listener saying, oh, I really connected with this part of that story or when this your guest was talking about this, I, I could have said that myself, then it just fuels me. It really, I come off interviews like this, I come out and I'm the best mom ever. I am the best wife ever because I just feel so good. Yes, yes. It just brings me back. You're, you're right. And every time I get a message from listeners, whether it's on Instagram or just anywhere, and I always read them and I always cherish them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the reason why we do this. Yeah. 
Huh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. You're surely not. Well, let's get back to Nordic culture then. So living in Australia, you are possibly the furthest away from Finland as possible. Well, except New Zealand. Is New Zealand? Yeah. Well, but yeah. then are you coming back around the other way? No, it, it is further. <laughs> I, I measured them when I moved there that it was further. <laughs> so you've been living in the Southern Hemisphere, is another way we could say it, for years and years and years now. How do you stay connected to the things that you enjoyed and that you cherish about the Nordic culture living there? It's a tough one. And I have to say that prior to my kids, so my kids are now eight and six. So prior to them being born, I was pretty, you know, easygoing, jet-setting the world on my corporate job. I was traveling about, I don't know, 250 days in a year and I had no problems with anything. I was trying everything new, whether it was food, whether it was culture, whether it was language, everything was go, go, go. And then when you you get a child and you're looking and thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to start talking Finnish again, like every day to my children. I have to start thinking about those Finnish, you know, children's songs or those little nursery rhymes that I have forgotten. Oh my God. And you realize that this the life that you had is no more. Like every all parents go through that transition is like, yeah, yeah, say goodbye to your old me and welcome to the new Susanna. So in that point, so that was about eight years ago, I started really looking back my life. It's like, so how can I reflect my nudic values to my children? How can I make sure that they get the Finnish language and the culture and they understand the importance things that are important in the Nordic culture, like, you know, the nature and how we appreciated nature and sustainability, even though it wasn't a thing in Australia, how can we still do that? So all those things kind of started kind of making conversation in my head. And then I started kind of thinking, how can I put these in action in my physically in my life? Like, okay, there was no uh, recycling, but we can do a compost in our back garden. So we can get mulch from the compost, for example. And then we can look at the worms with my, my kids were small at the time. And like, how can we use this mulch, you know, productively? We give it to our neighbors so they can put it on their flower pots, etc. So you start like little things and you start going back to your culture and thinking, how can I apply that in my life here? And of course, the weather is one of those things that, you know, we have sun like 364 days a year. And yeah. uh, we have no <laughs> snow unless... It sounds miserable. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you want snow, you have to go up in the snowy mountains, which is about four hours drive. And in the winter, it's really not that much snow. But if I could just backtrack just a minute. So what you're saying is before your children, when it was just you being a Finn, standing alone in Australia and traveling the world, you didn't think about your culture that much. You didn't think about how am I Finnish and how am I keeping Finnish alive in myself? No, because I kind of took it for granted because I am from Finland. That is my passport and that is my language. And I speak it every day with my family when I connect with them. And there were certain things in Finnish culture. I was still celebrating the Finnish Independence Day 
uh, 6th of yeah. December, I was still celebrating like the Finnish uh, days. So it was like, it, it was in me, but it never had such a big place in my life until the children yeah. came along. Yeah, I had another guest who's Indian by heritage, but grew up diplomatically. And so she was all over the world growing up and has settled in the U.S. And she agreed. It wasn't really until she had her son, who's now four, that she really had to consider, oh, do I want to highlight these festivals? Well, then I need to Google what's that food that I need to make that's associated with this festival. Oh, we need to get fresh clothes that go with this celebration and really considered also language because she speaks English every day. But then, oh, should we bring in my parents' mother tongue? Mm. And yeah, and I think that's something that I'm going through also with my husband, who's a Finn. And I constantly have to remind him, speak Finnish to them because we speak English together. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we do the 6th of December as well. There's a few other things that, you know, at Christmas, we try and do the row on the black bread. Mm. <laughs> and and isn't that delicious? <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and different things to try and bring Finnish culture into our lives. Yeah. But the children made a huge difference. It do. And um, I think food as well, like like in your example, like I've had to start looking, what do I cook? And particularly when we celebrate things like Easter is coming and I'm trying to find where's the instructions for mammy, which is a typical oh, yes. Finnish uh, <laughs> delicacy. My my husband said, that, oh my God, I can't believe Finns are eating shit for Easter, but they are because it's for it looks like it looks it looks like poop. It does. <laughs> so, and I've eaten it. I have a picture of myself eating it because my father-in-law was so excited for me to try it the first time. He took a photo of me. <laughs> so I I have to kind of you know look at those things and see what can I implement here. But it's hard. It's hard. It's it's hard to keep your culture alive when you are in in a third country, which is the language that the kids will you know talk at school and they talk with their friends so the only one that speaks that language is you and I do know that it's a hard decision I know a Finnish mother who lives nearby and she's decided to speak English to her children she doesn't speak any Finnish to them so mm. even though she's Finnish and she can speak Finnish with me her children are purely English speaking and don't know any Finnish and that is her personal choice but yeah. It's then she, when she goes to Finland, she's always telling me, oh, gosh, the kids don't understand their grandparents, but she made the choice to, you know, only speak that language. But it's like we all make these choices of how we want to bring up our children and what we want them to have from our culture. And, yeah, there isn't right and wrong. Everybody is different. No. What made you then decide to push through with the Finnish? Because it's not an easy language and it takes a lot of persistence to get that stick when the children are not surrounded by it. What motivates you? Probably the fact that I wanted to speak myself. Like I didn't want I did not want to forget my Finnish background and my Finnish language. And the older you get and the longer you are away from the culture and, and the surroundings the more difficult it is to comprehend. And for example, I was writing a message to my friend just before this, and I had to really think about how did how does this sound? Because I was doing the translation from English to Finnish rather than mm. thinking what is it actually in Finnish. And I was like, oh, it's gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything. I have to rewrite the whole thing. 
So because I wanted to make sure that I don't forget. So when I'm an old lady in a nursing home, I still want to be able to talk Finnish and swear in Finnish to the nurses who come and wipe my bum. <laughs> because they'll have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. But it is, it's work, isn't it, to keep culture and language alive when you're in a place doesn't really have it. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you have a Finnish friend, but is there much of a Finnish community that you can connect with there? You would be surprised. And I was surprised because <laughs> in Sydney, it was very easy. There was, um, when, before we started recording, I was talking about this Finnish school. So every Wednesday after school, we went to this Finnish school for like hour and a half with other Finnish kids and their parents. So we get to speak with the parents and then the kids get to speak amongst themselves and they had a teacher who went through nursery rhymes and the language and games and all that so it was easy in Sydney but then when you come to this small place this is I don't don't even know how many people there's living in Thule maybe there's like 7,000 8,000 people and when I moved here I posted something in a local Facebook group asking some advice and this woman asked so are you from Finland looking at my name I was like yeah I am so where do you live and I was like Thule and then she asked which street and I said, this is, I just moved on this and this street. And she was like, I'm living in the same street. <laughs> I was like, my husband, my partner is Finnish. We have four kids. So there you go. So there's about four or five families in a very close proximity that are Finnish. And we meet every now and then. And then there are maybe another five, eight families a little bit further out, maybe like half an hour And then in the whole region, Illawarra region, there's probably about 30 families. And there's lots of old generation, people who came to work in the mines. There's lots of coal mining that was happening here in the 60s and 70s. And there were still a few that is working. But there's a lot of old people who, you know, older generation who came here on the coal mines or they came to just work laboring on the harbor and on on the docks. So, yeah, there's like the kind of division with the older generation and then these younger people like myself. I still call myself young. (laughs) (laughs) Children. And, yeah, so there is. But, you know, I think Finns are everywhere. But it was very surprising, I have to say, when we moved here and we realized how many Finns there really are here. Finns really are everywhere, sprinkled, just a little bit here and there. It's it's amazing. I remember my... My husband and I, I can't even remember where were we, but we were on some type of train, not in Germany, not in the US. I don't know. And um, he turns to me, he goes, they're Finnish. And I said, how do you know? He goes, I can tell by their face. <laughs> and I said, okay, but are you sure? And just then the man started talking and it was like, moi, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, yeah, you, you called you that know, one. <laughs> my husband does the same thing. Like I can spot a Finn, but he can spot them even more. <laughs> we were in Singapore walking in the street and there was a man and a woman and two children in front of us and my, and we couldn't hear them but my husband says he's a Finn and so is she and so are the kids and I'm like looking at them you can't really tell it was dark that about the hair color was the first thing and I said how can you tell my husband's like because he's wearing socks and sandals together <laughs> that's also German <laughs> Germans do that too. (laughs) And then he said, yeah, but look at the hair. He has the very fine Finnish hair. So when I look Mm. at him, I was like, yeah, you're right. And then they start speaking in Finnish. (laughs) Called it. Yeah. So you're in a small town in Australia where you've 
just magically found other Finnish connections that you can meet with regularly. But how do you in your home with your children and your non-Finnish husband keep Finnish and Nordic lifestyle as a part of your kind of daily routines? So I speak to Finnish to my children. So when my mm-hmm. husband isn't around, and this is three of us, we just speak in Finnish. My older one replies to me in Finnish, somewhat my young one less so. And that's probably because he's had his brother to speak to him in English, I think. My husband understands Finnish and he can speak some like little bit of it. And he understands usually what the conversation is about. So he knows if the kids have been told off in Finnish and he tells them, <laughs> you know, listen to your mother in Finnish, which is very nice. <laughs> so we do a lot of board games. We read, we listen to Finnish music. Um, of course, they're meeting with other children. Uh, but it is hard. I have to say it is hard. And because I never made the decisions that I'm solely going to be using this language all the time, then it's kind of being like, oh, like I always translate when we have another person who is not Finnish speaking of what I'm saying as well. And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel that, you know, you don't want to exclude people from conversations. Although they say that the, the kids to really get the other language, you should only solely speak that, that child from the beginning. But I think mm. the culture for me, like getting the nudic culture for the kids, it's it's about the behavior as well and kind of respecting things like, you know, having good manners and teaching like life skills to them. And we talk about lots about schoolwork and, you know, like if they have to talk about their families or why don't you talk about your grandmother who just got a medal from the president because she's so old, she's 93 and she was at the war, she was a nurse at the war. And all that kind of stuff. So you try to integrate the culture as part of your everyday life. But there is moments when you are like, oh, I'm not sure if if, if they get what I'm doing. But then there's a glimpse of hope when they speak you back in your language or they remember, oh, now it's a, you know Easter because I'm Orthodox as well. I'm Finnish Orthodox. So we celebrate it slightly differently. And it's the biggest celebration to us rather than Christmas. So then we do mm. the eggs and we talk about so why we do the eggs and do we take them to the church or if it would be in Finland, we would take them to the church and what does that mean? So you kind of try to get it to the, kid, to the kids through like doing things that they are interested about, like cooking food together. And that has been coming a big part to kind of do like cinnamon buns and, you know, oh, yes. what, what do we do in Christmas? Like a Christmas tart, you know, the star, the uh, mm-hmm. With tart. the jam in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of wholesome, holistic approach. I want to just encourage you. I had one of my very first interviews with, was with my friend Mitch, who's actually Australian, grew up in New South Wales. And it wasn't until he moved to Germany for a job that he realized how many things from his childhood were German. He knew his grandparents were German, like born in Germany and moved to Australia with their kids. But it wasn't until he moved to Germany and saw, oh, this cake that is famous in Germany, I had that as a kid. Or this type of language, these little nicknames we have for things are German. And he was so proud to have that connection. And so I think even if we think our kids aren't paying attention, there are things that stick. And then maybe later on in life, your kids are going to go to Finland and they'll go, oh, yeah, we ate that food with my mom. Yeah. And it was funny when we were in Finland and my kids were there, we celebrated my 
grandmother's 90th birthday. They were then trying to play with their, their second cousins who are the same age and they were trying to play with them and they were starting to use Finnish language words like, do you want to play with me? And can we do this? And do you want to run there? And they were using the languages together. So it was really nice. And I was like, I so wish we could have stayed here for like weeks on end. So they would Mm. have that kind of feeling that whatever they're talking with me, they can talk with other people as well. That's what we keep trying. I mean, my four and a half year old, my husband will speak Finnish and my, my son replies in English. He understands the questions. And so that's positive. But he replies in English and we keep trying to encourage him and say, oh, it's it's so cool to speak more than one language and it makes it so that you can connect with lots of different people. And then our main selling point is you can talk to Mumu and Papa yes. <laughs> if you speak Finnish. Yes. Yeah. And it's a shame, like my mother sometimes asks my kids, oh, can you ask me that in Finnish rather than asking in English and me translating? And like my older one, he can actually speak. Like he once had the whole Skype call with my sister and he spent 15 minutes speaking in Finnish, purely in Finnish. My sister was like, oh my gosh, he can speak. And he's like, yeah, he can. It's just that they need to have that motivation to want to do it as well. I think that's what we need to start doing for our family because another thing, and I'm sure you've run into this, is... The lack of motivation for my son is probably that he thinks, well, who else speaks this language, you know? And so maybe we need to set up some some Zoom or Skype or whatever calls with family where they refuse to speak English to him. <laughs> yes, and that's what my sister does. She only speaks Finnish to my uh, yeah. kids. And I do know my, my colleague, my Finnish friend who lives up the road, he only speaks in Finnish and he expects the kids to respond to him in Finnish. And he's very early on, he told them, you reply to me in Finnish if I speak to you in Finnish. So he was very adamant. But I was never hardcore like that. I I didn't want it to be. But now I'm hindsight, I'm thinking, "Mm, maybe I should have. Yeah, we're also having that hindsight moment. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not too late. He's only four and a half. I know, I know. He definitely is our English speaker and he goes to English-speaking school, yeah. um, where my daughter, who's only two and a half, she is our trilingual one. Oh, wow. She speaks, like English is the dominant language. I think she can express herself most clearly in English, full sentences, full expressions. But she loves speaking German, and she loves speaking Finnish. So she is already differentiating who you speak what language to, and is taking a very different path than mm. my son. So it's interesting how the kids, there's character, there's that they're second children. There's so many factors coming in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then I think we've kind of touched on this, but I'll ask this question explicitly. How has being a mom changed how you connect with the culture? I think the older you become, the more aware you come from where you are from and your roots and your culture become more important because you realize that this fleeting time that we have on earth, that we want to be able to do something with our lives. And I find that the older I am, the more appreciative I am that I was born in Finland, I was raised there. Everything that I can teach my kids is because of where I'm from. And being a mother is like the, like you said, it's hard, hardcore. It's the hardest job on earth, but it's also so rewarding 
when you get it right and when you can see that these little humans are blossoming and they're actually responding and you're molding them to do, to be these amazing humans who are hopefully going to save the world. <laughs> but yeah, it is like the older you get, the more you appreciate where you are and where you're from. Hmm. So then closing question, what is your favorite part about balancing cultures? I would say that when I left Finland, I moved to London and realizing the the color of the rainbow of the cultures in the world. Like you always look at the map and that there is all these countries, but you don't really understand it until you are out there and you're experiencing them. You're eating their food, you're speaking the language or you're listening the language. And it's just like every time you learn something new. And in Finland, we have this concept of lifelong learning. And to me, that's that's the best thing. It's like you're always learning something new, whether it's about your own culture or someone else's culture that you can embrace and you can explain something to your children or it explains something to yourself about someone else's behavior or their culture and why it is the way it is. That's one of my favorite parts too. So agree, agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on Balancing Cultures. Pleasure is all mine. A big thank you to Susanna for sharing her story. From parenting to podcasting, languages and lifestyle. If you want to hear more, check the show notes for links on how to find the Nordic mum. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm-hmm.